0: Welcome to Creating Synergy, where we explore what it takes to transform. We are powered by Synergy IQ. Our mission is to help leaders create
1: world-class businesses where people are safe, valued, inspired, and fulfilled. We can only do this with our amazing community. So thank you for listening. Hey there, Synergizers, and welcome back to another episode of the Creating Synergy podcast. My name is Daniel Franco, and today we have the ex-AFL star, and leadership development manager of the Adelaide Crows, Mr. Dan Jackson. It's a timely episode given the amazing third premiership won by the Crows in the AFL women's competition, where I am certain Dan's influence and development program that he had in place was foundational to their win. So a quick congratulations to Dan and the team of the Crows, amazing effort. So over the course of his career, Dan made over 150 appearances for the Richmond Footy Club, Otherwise known as the Tigers, hashtag yellow and black, picking up various accolades along the way. In 2013, he won the Jack Diamond Medal, making him the oldest player to win the Tigers Best and Fairest for the first time since the great Matthew Richardson in 2007. In 2009, he also won the club's Jack Titus Medal, which is the best and fairest runner up. Dan has continued to go from strength to strength since his playing career gaining a master's in performance and psychology at the University of Edinburgh, working as the director of his own company, Integrative Performance, and then excelling in his role as leadership development manager at the Adelaide Football Club. In this episode, Dan and I talked about a lot. I think the question should be, what didn't we talk about? He is by far one of the most articulated communicators from the sporting world that I've ever come across. We deep-dived into his journey through his AFL career to traveling the world and stumbling into the corporate world that he finds himself, to his thoughts and culture and leadership in sport and how it applies to the corporate world. Plus, we talked about mindset, resilience, and dealing with stressful situations, to box breathing and how to calm down your nervous system, how to deal with hot heads, then on to creating positive habits. We also discussed some of the work that he's doing down at the Crows and how the players of today are so much different than to the players of yesteryear. Culture change, vulnerability, connection, leadership or other topics we stumbled upon, how to build a culture in a high-performance team. Vision and mission was also a topic of discussion. And then we talked about recruitment and how character is fundamental to recruitment and some of the best leaders that he's ever worked with plus so much more. It was an absolute pleasure talking with Dan and I know you're absolutely going to love this chat. So if you'd like to check out his profile, you can find it at Dan Jackson on LinkedIn, Twitter, on Instagram. And feel free to connect with me too where you can find me at Daniel Franco on LinkedIn. If you'd like to learn more about some of the other amazing leaders that we've had on this Creating Synergy podcast, then be sure to jump onto our website at synergyiq.com.au. Or check us out at the Creating Synergy podcast on all the podcast outlets. Cheers. So welcome back to the Creating Synergy podcast. My name is Daniel Franco, your host. And today we have the one and only Daniel Jackson or Dan Jackson on the show. Preferably, Uh, yep. (laughs) Preferably. Thanks for coming on, mate.
0: No, thank you for uh, having me. And yeah, Dan, because whenever I get called Daniel... I always flinch a bit because that was meant, <laughs> means that I was getting in trouble from my mum and it's always stuck with.
1: <laughs> I know the feeling, mate. I share the same name. <laughs> uh, so I, I, I want to start off the podcast with a personal experience about what I, I mean, you and I have had some conversations off air and, and before previously and and we met through uh, the, Mr. Brendan Rinaldi again. He's, uh, uh, he recommends a lot of people on the show, which is great. When I was following you, and I remember you playing for Richmond, you grew up um, in your, you know playing AFL for richmond and and were quite successful in your own white winning really best and fairest and, and and whatnot. but I one thing that really stood out to me when you were playing was your linguistically you were so far above any other footballer uh, and your ability to communicate can uh, communicate I was saying that wrong your ability to communicate and and connect the message and really be articulate about what you're experiencing. Even your sort of rundown on the way the game went was, was really well articulated. And um, is that something that you, growing up, always took and put a lot of effort into, was your, your communication style?
0: Oh, it's a good place to start. Um, <laughs> I've I've thought about this a lot and never landed on an on an answer. It's it's something that I love doing and like put me in front of an audience. I get as stressed or as anxious as anyone, but I it's that more of a challenge mindset than a threat. Like a, here we go. This is my I mean kind of in my element. Yeah. But like there are two things I'm confident on in life and one's slowly falling away, that's public speaking and running. And I think the getting old part impacts running, but yeah. the getting old part helps the uh, the public speaking. Um, I think I mean I was always sort of had leadership positions, so I had opportunities to speak through sport or at school and whatnot. But there is one time that I remember that I think I've, I think a lot of public speaking is just confidence. And because of that lack of doubt, I just have conviction on what I'm going to say. And there was one moment or one opportunity I had that could have gone either way. And I was asked by a, sort of a, a friend's boyfriend from uni. So I was studying commerce and this uh, friend of mine's partner, he was studying physio. Uh, at a different university. He said, mate, can you come and um, just do a bit of a Q&A with our – it's our first, second, or third year physio students at RMIT. I said, yeah, yeah, sure, no worries. And this was weeks before the actual event. I rock up there and there's an auditorium full of people. There's um, this guy who was a former uh, head physio at Essendon and he's talking about his experience. He'd been there for like 15 years. He was the doyen of, of sports physio. And this guy comes up the back and says, oh, you must be Dan." Yeah, sorry, so-and-so is busy, but he said to come and grab you. Uh, look, you're not next. Next is going to be – and the next guy up was this, um, the guy who'd invented the Lars surgery for the ACL. Oh, yeah. uh, and he was going to talk to the physios about this thing. So all of a sudden I'm going, geez, I'm third in line behind these guys. That's fine. <laughs> I can do the Q&A. And he goes, so have you got any slides or anything? I said, no, I've just, just a Q&A. And he said, no, 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 you've got 20 minutes um, to speak. <laughs> oh, and I, was, I genuinely <laughs> hadn't prepared anything. I, was, I nearly went white. I was about to walk away. I thought, no, no, man of honor, I've got to do what I say, said I was going to do. And so I sat there while the surgeon was up there talking for 20 minutes in his own presentation, no notepad or anything to write anything down. And I just sort of worked out in my head, like, what does the audience need today? They're physio students. They need to know how to deal with athletes. So I went through in my head, well, what are the things I can share from my experience? And I got up there and I just, I spoke for, 20 minutes or 15 minutes, did some questions, had no idea how, how it went in my mind, but got really good feedback. Brilliant. And afterwards, I just sort of just sort of stuck with me like, if I can deal with that, mm-hmm. I can deal with anything. Yeah. And so I think that experience has given me the confidence to just don't have that self-doubt with speaking. And that's what I think people go, oh, you're a great speaker. Whereas if I was, oh, um, not, I'm, I'm not, I'm, yeah, okay, well, and I have all these ticks. Yeah. It's nothing to do with my ability. It's that confidence in what I have to say, I think. That's brilliant.
1: I, I would have walked away. <laughs> I think I get oh. worried when I don't have questions prepared for the podcast, <laughs> let alone... But if I, I took we... that away from you, you would ask great <laughs> oh, questions because your curiosity, I, it just becomes a crutch. I, you're right. It, it does. But to speak for 20 minutes in the podcast situation, I'm not the one speaking. <laughs> I'm the one asking. Uh, I, so what is uh, interesting in that, I want to pull out a point, point. and what I do know about you is that you're meticulous in your approach and your, your preparation and the way you do go about things. So being in that uncomfortable situation... How did you get on top of your mindset in that space? Well, I think, I mean,
0: and I suspect we could talk about anything today. Yeah, right? but, I think we're going um, down a few rabbit holes. Yeah. <laughs> but One of those rabbit holes might be resilience and whatnot. And yeah. if we take the definition, there's so many definitions, but the definition I use around resilience uh, is to, to bounce back from adversity in effect mm-hmm. uh, to persist through struggle. And where I think we have this big miss at the moment with how we teach, educate, I don't have kids yet, but I'm going to put it out there tentatively and say raise young people is that we're trying to remove all obstacles to make them not have to suffer any form of anxiety or struggle mm. you talk about the lawnmower parent who paves the path rather than prepare the path for the child it's paved the path for them or the helicopter parent who pulls them out at that moment when they can have an opportunity to struggle because that public speaking example that's given me confidence for the future if I'd walked away and someone said oh okay well if you're not prepared let's not do it maybe I never have the conviction, maybe I don't do what I do now because of that lack of, of that conviction yeah. around public speaking. And so for mine, I think it's 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 that idea of if we're going to prepare people for life, life is hard, life is difficult. Um, I think I shared this quote with you last time, there's a guy, Ben Crow, I mentored me a long time ago and he does a lot of sort of more public broad staff works with Ash Barty, and he quotes this all the time from Scott, um, peck's book from back in the 70s yeah, The road less travel. travel
1: it's the first line of the book that's what I he know. says <laughs> all the
0: time life is difficult once we accept that life is difficult life is no longer difficult absolutely we can't realize that life we can't accept that life's difficult without that struggle so for me the mindset piece uh, of, of what i take from that is well at the time i was just trying to calm myself down and get clarity on what i wanted to say what i reflected on afterwards is I can deal with really stressful situations. Mm. Um, so that's sort of answering your, your yeah, question. Now with a lot more wisdom and maturity, like I would have used breathing techniques to slow down my heart. I still get nervous before I speak and then I can often speak too fast. So I'll use box breathing yeah. to calm down my physiological system so that then mentally I can have more clarity. So that would be a more specific what's, answer. Can
1: you, what's box breathing? Can you?
0: So box breathing is just simply you breathe in for four seconds through your nose, ah, yes. you hold the full lungs for four Breathe out for four, empty lungs for four, and um, if you do that, you do that four times, sixteen seconds per round. You're about a minute. You could do it. I could do it quietly in this chair as we were mic checking before, but it calms down the um, the whole, basically your nervous system. Yeah. Um, your vagus. There's a whole bunch of science behind yeah,
1: you it. You do tend to just start going a million miles an hour, and
0: so, you find yourself getting of breath because yeah. you don't have you're not using the full capacity. So using slowing down the respiratory system slows down the heart rate. Then we can focus, use more of our you know, the part of that brain that we need. Did you do that restrooms. during your game
1: when you used to play? Was that something? Well, or was I, that something
0: you've developed after? I did later in my career because, yeah. I mean, I'm now an old warhorse. People forget who what I was like as a footballer. They go, "Oh, you won a best and fairest and you came second. You played 150 games. Oh, you're a good career." Like, no, my first. 100 games I was awful like I was, and I was you're an angry man that's exactly right I I'd had these I had this role where I had to go and be the angry yeah tough guy and I kept getting suspended and I'm a lovely guy off the field but white line fever on it yeah. and um, you know, I can tell the whole story if it becomes relevant later but basically I got to a point where I just had no control over in those situations when it was um, kind of getting heated other people have that ability to go no this is wrong whereas I would I would lash out. I'd do something that would get me reported and I'd get suspended. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I had to go and learn a meditation practice, which I would use before every game. I'd use it daily, but specifically right before I went out to play in front of 80,000 people on the MCG, I'd be doing my breathing, a bit of visualization, and I'd go out with a lot less testosterone and adrenaline running through my system. And that enabled me to control my behavior. Brilliant. Those moments are now called Will Smith
1: moments, right? <laughs> you just—he could have done
0: with a little bit of box breathing hey, before I that.
1: think so. I, um, yeah, I'm not sure he managed that in the in the way that he he would have liked to. Looking back, uh, and I think that's something that we all learn from though. That in in that spur of the moment, the breathing exercise—it's I use almost like the take five, right? Count down from five. Hang on, how am I going to respond to this? Um, count backwards from five and. Um, And I think that just, it's almost like a circuit breaker
0: in Mm. between stimulus and response. And I think this, I used to, uh, more so when I, before I came back to work at the Crows or came to work at the Crows, I was doing a lot of stuff with youth athletes and school kids. And I used to talk about mindfulness and I'd share that story about learning to meditate, meditation being a form of mindfulness. Um, But what I've since learned is for some people, that's excellent. That ability, like you say, to create that gap between stimulus and response, but I've stepped back from that now, especially for men like this Will Smith moment, to identify, okay, I need to be mindful of times when I may act poorly. So as an example, people, someone has a long day at work, they've gone home to their family, uh, they've got a dog that's going to come and jump on them and a couple of kids who need some attention and a wife who's also working but has got home beforehand, is preparing dinner. You want to go there and be supportive, but you've come from a workplace where you've dealt with some annoying employees and some argumentative clients and, you walk out the door and you get in the car and unless you're mindful that hold on a minute, I don't want to carry the baggage from today into my household, my family don't deserve that. Without being mindful of it, you will just do it. You walk in the door and get frustrated at the dog and kick him down and and be frustrated at the kid. So I spend a lot more time now when I talk about mindfulness of let's be mindful of the occasions that we may act the way we don't want to act. So for Will Smith, I I, don't, I doubt this is just a one. off so He probably has a fiery temperament. He yeah. seems to have the male lead role actor temperament of like a Russell Crowe throwing yeah. the phone and yeah. you hear all these stories. Yeah. But be mindful to go, okay, it's natural in particular for men when they feel challenged or threatened for that testosterone to go up. Cortisol comes in there. Um, adrenaline comes in. So we're going to find it harder to act with clarity if we can be aware of that and then whether it's take a breath or not and go, okay, this is a moment I'm getting – seeing the world through red eyes, I need to go back to blue. Okay, don't stand up off your chair. Even if he'd got up off the chair and walked towards it, as he was going walking towards it, if he'd been mindful previously around, mm, I don't respond well in these situations. Right now, I'm not responding well. He could have walked up there and pretended to slap him, made a joke and gone back down. Mm. At that point in time, he wasn't going to stop and do box breathing. But no. He could have been more mindful. And I think that's a different way to look at mindfulness yeah. that everyone can um, access. I,
1: yeah, wholeheartedly agree. I, um... And you, I, talk, I talked about the, you know, the gap between stimulus and response, and I called it a circuit breaker. I, I do that as part of my regular, every day. When I'm not injured, it seems like every other day I am. <laughs> I, I get home from work, and it's almost become custom and or tradition or whatever the word is in my household, where everyone knows that I get home and I'll go for a quick half an hour run as a way of breaking up between, on clearing my mind from the day that's just gone by. And then sort of entering in what is family in our family mm. life right? with my two kids at home, helping them with schoolwork and getting dinner ready. And then all Be the above, a dad just being partner. a father, being present. Mm. Um, so in, in that time, I put my phone or try to put my phone away and and, and really create a space where – but that that's something that I've created habitually, mm. right? It's something that I've now – implemented into my life do you think there's a place for people to be able to do that and in that spur of the moment and you would know this being on the football field um and and not not only now not only in the football field but now in the corporate world you you deal with some hot heads and you deal with some egos and things can get heated and conversations can get um you know turned pretty fiery pretty quickly is that a moment
0: that you feel like you can create habit in where yeah for sure and we spoke about it's philosophically it's great to have interesting conversations but if there are sp- specific tools that we can share exercises yeah. to get those so one comes to mind for me so ex- similar example you like you just said you are going to have frustrating conversations you get off the phone to a client or um, a potential client they're doing your head in you're angry there's one a great little exercise reset exercise called the triple r let's just call it which is take a moment to reflect it's kind of like reflect and assess how I feel right now. Mm -hmm. Oh, I'm frustrated. I'm really annoyed at that client. I'm angry. Okay. Then we go, let's um, rest. So it could be a breathing exercise. It could be play a song. It could be just walk outside. It could be just, just pause for a moment. And then it's reset. And the reset is tied to the question, how do I want to appear in my next engagement? So I'm about to walk into a staff meeting, which I'm leading. I've reflected that at the moment, I'm actually a bit tense and angry. I've just calmed down physiologically. I've got a little bit of clarity. It takes 30 seconds. And now I want to be a really supportive leader of this team. So what does that look like? Well, um, resetting on that would be, well, I'm just going to go in with a smile on my face because I want to bring yeah. in positive energy. So yeah, that, that would be a specific example which you could build a habit around. Every yeah. time I come out, it could even be a positive meeting. Pause just for a moment before I leave the office. Reflect. Yep, actually, I'm in a really good mood. I'm going to take a breath anyway. And then I'm going to reset and I'm going to be this. And yeah, take control yeah. back over your emotions so hopefully that's a useful tool no absolutely you, you, well, it's forcing you to
1: make a choice isn't mm. it? right i am by by resetting i am going to and saying the words
0: i'm going to be this mm. um well there's small things like jürgen klopp the the liverpool manager there's a great clip i use with with leadership talks and development and he um he says every person but i use it as every leader every leader every person has a responsibility for the energy of the room they walk into. Mm -hmm. Um, And you think about that, like especially you're the same as I. When you're a six-foot guy, you've got a big voice and you stand out physically, but this is for everyone. But you walk into a room and you've got this angry look on your face and your body language is tense and stuff. People, without realising, like all the research that Robert Sapolsky does in this space is really interesting, people will cue in without rationalizing it in their own head and go, oh, okay, I'm a little bit intimidated by that. Mm. And you may not want that impact, but we're carrying the baggage from the rest of the day that we've Mm. had before versus walking in with a big smile and a gentle shoulder and jaw and open posture. People go, oh, okay, I can relax. Again, Mm. they may not even realize that, but that's that responsibility that I think Jurgen's talking about when you go into the room as a leader, you're going to influence the people's physiological state in yeah. there, and then through that, you're going to influence how they think, how they behave. So Absolutely, there's a responsibility. Oh, we've all, I mean, we've all
1: been there as children, right? <laughs> With mum and dad come home and. My dad is a fiery Italian man, right? <laughs> and 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 you know, well, the world's nice as human, but there are days after work and he works in the construction industry and you can imagine some of the shit that he puts mm. up in, in that world. And I remember as a kid coming home, it's like, ooh, what type of dad's coming home today, right? And you'd walk if he walks in with a smile, it's game on, right? It's yeah. like, yeah, let's play. But if he walks in, he's got that frown and you go, all right i'm just going to uh, I'm just going go in the other room for a moment and let him <laughs> cool down. i think we've all yeah we've all been there I think that it, it, it is a human characteristic. I really like that do you believe that um when you talk about body language and I know this is something that crow's worked on a couple of years ago, but it might have been before you were there mm. with the power posing and mm. stuff do you believe that that has influence on your body and and um and how you might react to a certain situation
0: yeah well, ironically there is not ironically. Actually, there is good evidence around things like power stance. So if you get someone to stand up in that power stance, for those who didn't see that a few years ago, what the crows are doing, shoulders, back—it's kind of like a superwoman or a superman yeah. stance. Yeah, They do blood testing on that, and they will measure increased levels of um, testosterone so and lower levels of cortisol, cortisol being the stress hormone. Now, if you get someone, anyone who's sitting down in a chair right now, if you get them to hunch over and have their hands on their knees and, and think about that forlorn figure of someone sitting yeah. on a chair looking like that, we take people's blood when they do that it goes the opposite effect lowers their testosterone, increases their cortisol. So the facts are facts, like the science yeah. shows that a power stance. Now, if the Crows had have beaten Richmond and I didn't play for Richmond at this point in that 27 grand final, every team would have gone mm. and gone, oh, let's power look at point, these powers yeah. poos or stance thing. Richmond win and and this is, and we'll probably talk about this, the research I went back and did after I retired on their culture change. Their culture change was all about vulnerability and authenticity and care and love and thriving and connection yeah so what are then we go and follow what does nathan Buckley they called him bearded bucks oh, yeah. God, nathan buckley's done what damien hardwick did he's gone from being this really disciplined rigid athlete and coach to being really warm and accepting and yeah. understanding and flexible <laughs> bearded bucks. Yeah, yeah and a lot of coaches now are going down that path so the influence because of that one game um so yeah the power stance thing i uh, for people who, well, you, same thing. If you've got a young person who's going in for a job interview, I often say, you know, go stand in the cubicle, do a power pose, maybe do some breathing, or whatever, because then you'll come out with that confident, assured, maybe hopefully yeah. a bit of conviction in the in the presentation. I uh, I always look and
1: and you know, grand font, I think you can
0: pick who's winning
1: based on that the stance when they when the Australian anthem is going. I always look at the um at, at the way the clubs. Are. I'm a Geelong supporter, Geelong football club supporter, and they they stand pretty casually, right? And I always critique them on that. And Richmond, when in the grand final when they won a couple of, when they beat the Cats a couple of years back, they were standing there locked in arms, arms over each other, and there was this real I'm gonna say the word brotherhood or this real community feel, like a team feel. They were locked together, and instantly I remember seeing that footage. Of the cats, the Geelong boys standing on the side, just yeah, being pretty casual. And, and I looked at the Richmond team, and I've got Richmond. have got this. They've absolutely got this. And I think I remember thinking the same thing because that was that's Richmond's approach: is that lock the arms in together, you know, arms around each other's shoulders. And that's the te- I don't know. It feels like a real team thing that they've got going on there.
0: That we're here for each other. Well, I'll I'll come back to whether it works in footy because if we could do someone to do some research, we might be able to make some money gambling. Yeah. We don't promote, <laughs> absolutely. But, um, Piper Grange, like the octopus thing, you know, where the octopus picks the winner—that's right, the <laughs> World Cup. Um, Pippa Grange has recently released a book called Fearless, and she's worked. She used to work at the AFLPA, worked at Richmond, and then went and worked with the English um, football team yeah. leading into the World Cup. And she's she's English by birth, but spent a lot of time in Australia. She's she's, she's a legend. Yeah. Anyway, she one in a podcast that I listened to quoted a piece of research that I haven't found yet, but if she's quoted it, I suspect it's. Um, It's reliable. Um, But they looked at exactly what you're talking about, the body language during penalty shootouts, and they found a pretty strong correlation with teams that support one of their players who miss a penalty. So that guy misses a penalty and he comes back and he gets physically and emotionally embraced by the team, which you know that is kind of a reflection if you embrace him back in, is it's okay, we love you even though you missed the penalty. Teams that do that as opposed to teams who the guy misses the penalty and they walk off to the side and no one really – yeah. lets them back into the tribe whether they realize it or not the teams that embrace the missed kicker win more often than the teams who don't yeah, and wow. she talks about this idea of well if i know that myself my worth in this team my place in this tribe is not dependent on my performance i'm going to perform better because and we could go into all that physiological yeah. about well, freezing for up. the next spot kicker it means that they're uh, feeling a little bit more confident exactly yeah. they're relaxed they're in yeah. that they're in that challenge state rather than threat state so there's their blood will flow um, through Well, what happens in a challenge versus threat. So I think this stuff's interesting for people yeah. to know. You can cut it out if it's not. No, um, but flight, we all, when we get fight, nervous, flight, kind yeah. of, yeah, but it, depending on how we look at it. So okay, this is a challenge and i ex- – let's say we think it's a threat, so we're stressed. Mm-hmm. I just saw the last guy miss the penalty. Everyone cracked the shits and talked poorly of him. Now I have to go. So heart rate goes up, adrenaline mm-hmm. comes in, heart rate goes up, blood starts to pump. But the difference is the, the, um, the blood – passages so whether it be veins and capillary i'm not i'm not a doctor so i won't articulate it well but they all tighten up so that blood is trying to pump through but the body is tense so it doesn't go through you're not getting as much blood flow through to um, arms and legs and the things that need to perform and then there are cognitive impacts as well but i don't understand them well enough to explain (laughs) the other side if it's the exact same thing i don't see it as a threat i see it as a challenge like well i can kick this goal to help win the world cup yeah adrenaline's still there because that's normal fight and flight kind of response The blood starts to pump because your heart rate increases because of the adrenaline. But the difference is all well, the capillaries and arteries and veins, they relax, they dilate. So the blood flow is much. So we talk about, you know, someone who's in the flow state, they look relaxed and they're yeah. moving versus someone who's stressed is all tense. That's what's happening. And so that person who goes, oh, I could win the World Cup. This is yeah. a challenge. Oh, I've got to give this speech. How exciting. Yeah. They can use, every, they can optimize their physiological um, state. The other side, if it's a threat, oh my god, I'd better not stuff this up. Yeah. you're not in an optimal state. Please so even miss, just please look, don't miss yes, yeah, it Exactly right, yeah. So I sort of I, I tell that because again, I think it's it's yeah. interesting to hear the research behind these things. But you go back to the footy thing before a game. I, I know it often we go, Oh, well they look like they're unified or these guys look like they're tough. I would love to get someone who could do blood measuring on teams before games, because I watch yeah. this, I'm the runner. Starts
1: asking, asking no. well, yeah. I'm not that kind of blood, blood <laughs> out, not blood in,
0: but I'm the runner at the Crows and I played in um, 150 games of my own and I was always curious about, is there an optimal state for a team to go out there and perform? Mm. Because I've seen the rah, rah, let's get videos, let's play the pumped up music, let's yell and scream. I've seen that work, team goes out and they just blow the other team apart. But I've also seen teams go out that go out with that mindset and just make lots of mistakes because they're not thinking clearly. Other times I've seen, even our Crows guys, they're really relaxed and they're calm and they're joking around and you think, oh, are they ready to play? This is a combative sport. Mm. And they go out there and they're clinical in their execution. And so I, I'm yet to land on, like I, that's right? part of my role in being, you know, this, I've got this background in performance psychology and I, I work in this leadership and culture space. If someone says, what's the optimal state for a team? I don't know yet. Yeah. I think it's dependent on team by team and even scenario by scenario. It's yeah. a tough one. If we could work it out, though. Well, it's
1: so individual, too. I think so, yeah. Right. Like, you, you can play rah-rah, but that'll hit 25
0: to 30% of the people in the room. It won't hit the. the do you know what I mean? I think that's a good reflection, yeah, yeah. especially team sport. Whereas yeah. if I'm a track athlete, it's just me. I can test that Tra- out. Yeah. I've tried the caffeine and the loud Absolutely. music. Absolutely. Wasn't that great. Yeah. I tried the meditation and the passive music. Also, wasn't that great. Yeah. So we, we test somewhere in between. Well, I
1: mean, I think I've heard you talk before about your. Pre-game routine of about rice and eggs or something like that, <laughs> compared to some others who are eating, you know, burgers or whatever. And you know, everyone's got their own approach mm. um, and what works. for, for Yeah, I, i, That's I key. before a game. I, 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 I never used to eat. I actually, I reckon, I played better on an empty stomach than what I did because I just got, I got a stitch or something like that, and it just stopped me from playing. So I used to not eat at least six hours before a game. Yeah, um, yeah, whenever I was playing. Rounding off, so all this can tie back into the breathing that we were talking about and being able to control the emotions before uh, before you uh, head into into battle. Uh, your role as leadership in, in, in the leadership and culture space at Adelaide Crows, um, how is that – is that a new role that has been created and is that something that a lot of the footy clubs are doing across the AFL now
0: or is that kind of new and unique to the Crows? There's always there's always been someone um, involved at most clubs that kind of looks after leadership development yeah. and, and culture development and one of the same thing really. But traditionally, they were external consultants. So yeah. leading teams from the early 2000s were the the big one because yeah. they had Ray success with Sydney, anything, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Ray McLean model and Hawthorne and whatnot. Um, but then a Richmond one at the early movies, may even may even have been the first um, when they went through their 2016 troubles where. there's nearly a board coup and the media wanted the coach gone and they did a big assessment and they identified a bunch of stuff in their culture that needed fixing and they also identified that they didn't want to just change the leadership you know that's what we often do especially in sport Um, something's not working here culture's no good let's just get rid of all the leaders and bring in new ones that'll fix the problem Mm. And all that is i always use the example that's like putting a new fresh rug over cracked foundations (laughs) it all looks good for now until the next person comes in walks around and goes hold on a minute this joint's stuffed yeah um So Richmond, because of the leadership of Peggy O'Neill, who's um, a great friend of mine, and I think it helped maybe that she was, one, a woman, the first woman to be president of an AFL club, two, American, not Australian, and three, a lawyer, not just a, a, you know. No, that's not true because a lot of the presidents in the AFL and chairman do come from different backgrounds, but she saw the world through a non-football lens because she didn't have this history of being around footy. So she looked at it and said, no, why would we just throw the leadership away? Um, And so they went and they decided one of the things they needed to do was invest more in this culture space. So they got a guy, Shane McCurry, who's an absolute guru. His title was different to mine and the way the role plays out day to day is a bit different. But in essence, it was this full-time person to look after leadership and culture. And they love him down there. They think he's had a huge influence on their on-field success and also their off-field success. There have since been some other clubs and I couldn't name them. I think Fremantle on Collingwood, Nick Maxwell might have been doing something similar yeah. at Collingwood, but the Crows kind of similar to to Richmond in 2019 after having the two years after 2017 not going their way um, also did a cultural audit. They decided that there was some leadership that needed to change, including the head coach and head of footy. Um, hence, Matty Nix and Adam Kelly came in, um, but that was also recommended by these externals that they needed someone full-time in this leadership and culture space. So, that's kind of how it came about and it's a very, you know, the question I hate more than anything is, so like, what do you do? Oh. You know, it changes day to day. No, I, yeah. I can I know how to work my way around it but yeah. every day is different because it's trying to teach and build leadership and culture is such a unique process. But um, having me or I guess me being there every day, being the runner on game day, being out there on the training track enables me to have a really good finger on the pulse for, well, what is the club environment like right now? And in, in essence, what's the culture like? And how are our leaders leading, whether they be player leaders, administrative leaders or, or, or coaches? So that's the background for the role. And it's, again, long-winded, but I think it gives context Absolutely. for how this position came about. So. One
1: a question I want to – so Synergy IQ is the, my business. We were, we're a consulting firm and we're, we are leaders in helping businesses through change, right? And that change could be in, in – it, whether it's organisational change, cultural change, leadership change, any sort of in, work in that space, um, we, we, help, uh, we help businesses in, through that journey. One thing that I do know that it's a really tough area to quantify and, and really get some statistics behind and, you know, return on investment and everything. So have you, have you sat down and, and, and what's actually what's really exciting for me is that a football club's looking at this and going, right, this is something that's important. Culture is important. Leadership is important. And, and we, we know sport notoriously has this really big tick when it comes to leadership. And we've seen some amazing leaders come out of the sporting industry and in currently in the sporting industry. But do you sit down with the Matthew Nixes of the world and the, and the Tim Silver's of the world and go um, and really define what is the culture and then where do we want to be? And do you work with it on a corporate level as well? Do you, are you that link between the players and the corporate space? Or How, how do you manage and weave your way through
0: that? Yeah, it's... It's uh, another good question because it's not so, <laughs> that's such a simple answer. Yeah. Um, I think, firstly, the last two years with COVID has made it difficult in some senses. And yeah. that main part being the administrative part where Tim Silvers has come in and running versus the football department have been quite disconnected yeah. because we've really been risk mitigating around yeah, COVID. Okay. Yeah. Um, but I'll come back to that, whether we're coming back in that space. The thing about leadership, I don't know where I stole this quote from the other day. It was written in one of my notebooks, so I couldn't remember where, probably from a podcast. Um, but someone had said, and it resonated, that as a leader, you make yourself in your culture. Mm. So whatever you are as a leader, whoever you are, whether you want to or not, other people are going to start to become more like you if you've got that strong leadership presence with most, most good leaders and head coaches do. <clears throat> so I started a few months after Matty Dix had um, come on board and he'd already had a lot of headway to start to change the culture and the environment. Um, and I might just sidestep for a second as well, because without even defining what I think culture is, it might make it a bit more confusing. But I, my view is that culture is just a reflection of the people in any given environment and how they behave. So there is no such thing as culture without people, because we get caught up. Well, culture is the things that you it's the things that you stand for. It's written on that wall, you know. We believe in integrity, so it's it, culture is integrity. No, it's not. Culture is about how whether people act with integrity. Mm. If there are no people, there are no culture. So put people in an environment. There's a culture there. You put kids into the playground, if you left them there long enough, they would work out what their culture is going to be, who's going to do what. Can you push kids over? Can you steal a toy? Culture just is. Exactly. It just is because of the people in there and how they behave. So Nixie had come in and um, his view of elite performing cultures is all about – states it really clearly. It's about prioritizing others. He believes great teams are built on people wanting to help someone else because if you go, if I go in there and I help 22 other people, then I've got 22 other people that want to help me. We all get better. One plus one equals three. So when I walked in, walked in the door, I was expecting something different by way of the environment and culture because of the things that I'd read. Um, when I walked in, I was really pleasantly surprised. And I think also because when you, what you read in AFL media mm. is never fully accurate. Yeah. But also they'd, already, they'd done a lot of good work in the first few months. And so I walked in going, wow, this is a really good base to build from. Um, at the time... Um, There still had some other change to come there were a bunch of players that were going to end up getting moved on coaches, you know, new CEO, new chairman Um, so at the time when I first I guess the first year or two during that COVID period my role was really just to support Matty Nix on how do we build this culture initially around prioritise others and I can share some stories around that later and then also there was another one just about um, I guess it's elite excellence or hard work, it's quite simple like you can't be a successful team without hard work and we had some work to do um and they were probably the two things that we focused on for those first two years good people that want to help others people who just love to work hard and so i didn't lead that as much as i did just support that because i work really closely with the playing group in both codes in both teams the women and the men um i was able to sort of make sure that i'm feeding back stuff to the coaches and the head of footy adam kelly and vice versa i can have that be that bridge in between now we've got an opportunity that all the key leaders are in place that we're trying to be a bit more holistic with that culture piece of the whole club because there's been such disconnect and so much change. Tim Silvers has come in and identified there's a real opportunity for us to get Mm. great clarity on what our vision is going to be for the next five or ten years, what we really want to stand for, looking back at historically what we have stood for and a bit of that identity story. So now I'm getting involved in that as well, um, mainly for the same reason that if, well, I have the ear of 44 men's players, 30 women's players, then I can help reciprocate – That shared kind of knowledge exchange around. Well, what do we want to stand for? What do we want to achieve? So that's happening at the moment, which is pretty cool. Remove the silos between the two groups, right?
1: That's the easier said than done. Sometimes, (laughs) and it really is. It's because it's just different mindsets. Different mindsets. One's running a business, and the other is running a, um, or trying to run a football team,
0: right? So, well, I imagine you'd see it going into work do this kind of work in a big corporate well the marketing team has different goals and oh, ambitions yeah. to the to the well marketing sales might be similar but to operations and finance Absolutely. they might look at it differently well um, you're doing
1: different work but
0: at the ultimate goal if the strategy and the visions are clear and it's you know and the, beat,
1: the drums getting beaten then that's kind of that's powerful that's where we want to be this mm. is where we want to it's no I always use the Elon Musk's of the world, right? And and go. You you walk into SpaceX, and there's a picture of, of people who have populated the moon, right? So like the vision is clear. Right. Is that right? Yeah. 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 yeah, he's got it. It's it's it's, it's the, the moment you walk through the front doors at SpaceX. There's a picture of humans colonized on the on the on the moon, right? And and you couldn't get more visionary, right? Like that is what we're trying to do. This is where this is our mission every see, single I, day.
0: Well, see this. I like this. I might steal this example this one. I need to write it in my new remarkable. Yeah. About.
1: <laughs> yes, go the remarkable.
0: Because this <laughs> idea of vision and mission, I think we use them interchangeably like it's the same thing. But my personal experience and view, and I do a lot of reading in this space, but that doesn't mean that I'm right. This is just how I understand it. Is That is the perfect example of vision because I don't think he actually wants to colonize the moon. I think what he's saying is we want to go and change the way we live in that we could live into in interstellar yeah. and we could go to other places. Um so the mission might be more acute. Like right now, the mission, which is more of the, in my mind, it's the objective thing we can tick off is we need to have the capability in our rockets to go to the far-fung parts of the universe. We need to build capability to be able to sustain life in outer space. Absolutely. The vision, though, is this bigger picture. We can't really tick it. It's we want to be able to – we just want to go and explore and expand through the, through the universe. And I, I, I've wrestled with that for a long time because in – take sport for an example, people go, well, What's your vision and mission? Well, that's mission. My view in footy is just to win games. Like that's what we're there to do. The mission is to win premierships, but the vision is bigger than that because if we just go out there to win, we might miss a whole lot of opportunities to build connection with our community. Like there's an opportunity in South Australia for the crows to really represent more than it probably does. Richmond's, and they don't necessarily use this language but they say their purpose is to connect is connecting to thrive and win they want to connect their communities together the, the work they do in the indigenous space the work they do in um, community sport they want to bring that together help everybody thrive that's internal as well and then they know they will win and they can define winning how they want but they have a mission about being a strong and bold premiership club yes yeah. in effect they want to win that's the mission that's the vision and I, I I share that now because it helps me put a line in the sand to go. This is I what agree. I think, and if I say it, then I'm going to have to believe it. it. it no,
1: you're right, and it, it's and it's a, a well. The Elon Musk is a very clear and uh, it's mm. an example that I use all the time. I actually say his mission is to is is for human beings to be spread across the universe, right? Like similar to what you said. So let's let's not let's de-risk, right? Let's take away the key person risk of human beings surviving by removing them from Earth and getting them. Around now, that is a big, hairy, audacious goal. It's the B Hag, yeah. It's almost in where we are right now, it's almost unachievable. Mm. Like, it's just not going to happen. We're not going to see it in our lifetime. But that right? was JFK on the moon, kind absolutely of thing. right. Whereas his mission is to get people on the moon so we can see that it can be done, mm. right? That's the thing, it's to create the uh, the buy in from the rest of it. It's like, you know, I can't remember the exact meterage with the sprinters, but when, when they beat, I think it was under a minute or under two minutes, they got the, it was a 1500 in under a minute or two minutes or whatever. And then no one could ever get it under the two minute mark. Under the, under oh,
0: the, yeah, the four minute mile. The, the four minute mile. Roger yeah, Bannister. That's right. That's the one. Yeah. Correct. He uh, does it. And then within the next 12 months, four more blokes do it. Exactly. Right? And I think that's, that
1: is the power of what Elon's trying to do. You get For people sure. to Mars, all of a sudden they go, shit. This is something we can achieve. Yeah. We are actually going to do this, uh, and there'll be so much more innovation that comes out of that. So you are right; there is a big difference between vision, vision and mission. Mission is the part
0: that we play now. Yeah, whereas vision we can tick the, it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Vision
0: we probably don't tick. You know, we want to help change the world of, um, of sustainable. Tech, um, Transport. Uh, yeah What does that look like? How can we tick? Have you changed the world yet? I don't know, but it's motivating. And here's the other thing I think as leaders, you've got to identify who wants, because the leadership in my mind is just taking people on a journey somewhere. If we're not going anywhere, then we're not leading. Like to lead mm-hmm. someone, we've got to go somewhere. And I look at this kind of three ways you can take people on that journey. The first one's the most, I think the easiest one is, well, what do the people around here need from me? Because if you look after your people and you, make them, you empower them and you make them feel good and you just make it a great environment, they'll probably follow you wherever you want to go. Mm-hmm. A lot of people don't have the direction. So you can just lead the people by being good to people. Next part of it, and they don't necessarily go in order, you can be a visionary leader and get people to buy into something really big like Elon does. Like, geez, I don't even know if this is real, but I love his ambition and yeah. I want to help change the world in regards to being able to live. Or some people go, they're very mission goal directed. They might just want to bring the stock price up so they can make tons of cash. They might want to sell this many widgets so they can just show that they've done that. That's how they're motivated. But knowing how different people are motivated or groups of people, I think, can make you a more effective leader so that people the purpose, which is your vision or the plan. And yeah. then you go the process part about being a good communicator, being empathetic, Correct. having yeah. crucial conversations. Like that's management really. Yeah. That's that difference, management and leadership. Okay, we'll follow the plan. The leader sets the plan though. That's absolutely leadership. Well, plan. it's
1: Tim's job and Matt's job at the Crows to, to lead that vision. What is it that we're actually trying to achieve? This is the strategy. This is where we want Crows to be in the next five to ten years, right? And five to ten years is – is looking out there, and it, you know, most people, and especially the, the supporters, want to see the, the runs on the board now. But just yes, they do, yeah. And it, but we all know, and shareholders are no different to the supporters, right? In, it, when you, you compare it to the business world, they want to be able to fill their pockets now. Um, but think if anyone that knows culture, it's not something that turns around, it's a slow moving ship. It's it so not. Turns around quickly. It's a slow-moving ship. It turns around with time, with finesse, mm-hmm. and it's bloody hard. It goes back to the Scott Peck, you know, life is difficult. Yeah. Culture is difficult. There it's you gonna go. Take Culture change is difficult. Yeah, it absolutely is because it it relies on so much. It relies on e- on great leaders. It relies on egos. It relies on processes. It relies on systems. It relies on uh, you know being on board with a vision, being on board with a strategy, being on board,
0: with, and everyone working together.
1: Um, that's tough, especially when you got, you know, hundreds, if not thousands of people in a. Well, I think, and
0: that's the key again, if looking at culture being the, how the people interact in an environment, to change culture, you either have to change the people or you change the environment, i.e. the way they behave in that. Absolutely. And I was talking to a group yesterday um, outside another sporting organisation in, in South Australia, not, not the Crows, and they asked that about you know, positive and negative influences in your environment because um, we see that in sport. We keep mm. the, the shit bloke because he's a great player and we can't afford to get rid of him. Yeah, But that person in that environment, that's influencing your culture because he be either makes other people lowers the psychological safety yeah. or creates a click where other people go, it's okay to behave this way. Yeah. So you can go, okay, well, we want to change our culture. So you're going to change the environment? Well, you can try, but if this guy doesn't want to change his behavior, you're not going to get very far. So you let him go, and all of a sudden, there's this vacuum that gets filled with different behaviors. And okay. if you've got a good person that comes in to fill it, then the way they behave influences the environment. The wheel kind of turns a little bit, and because as that environment um, gets stronger, a new person comes in and they look in there and they go, "How do you behave at the Adelaide Crows?" Mm. Okay, well you look after other people, you have humility, but geez, you work hard. So they adopt some of those behaviours, and if they're it. and good you person, get rewarded for doing that, exactly. So it goes back and forth. A new yeah. person comes in, they reinforce that, and then as people leave and come and go, if it's the right people and the culture is strong, it gets it just keeps going around and around. But if you lose one of your key cultural architects um who is really strong on driving that environment you may find there's a bit of a reduction in the quality of your culture so if like you say if you've got hundreds of thousands of people in a huge organization well the dynamic nature of your environment is going to be really hard to quantify and measure but there will still be people groups of people individuals that can influence it positively what's accountability
1: 101 isn't it right like you if
0: there is that you know we in in the
1: corporate world it's the it's the brilliant jerk, right? And then, you know, in the footy, footy world, it's, it's similar. And, and if you hold that person accountable, it's, it's that quote, you know, the standard that you walk past mm. is the standard you accept, right? If you're walking past someone who's behaving and you're in a, in a negative or unproductive or uh, in a, they're harassing or whatever they're doing and you walk past that as a leader and accept it or even just let it go, you don't say anything. it's like, oh, I'm not going to get involved, not my space. You are creating a culture where that behavior is tolerated and it's accepted. Yep. Um, and so leadership is huge in this space. Mm. Do you recruit based on, on like now, I know back in the day it was we just need a whole bunch of great footballers and we want to win premierships, right? Do you recruit now based on leadership capability?
0: Yeah, so I'll sit in a lot of the draft interviews. I don't get a huge say on the decisions mm. made at the end, but we go through and we rank subjectively rank or rate all the potential kids that we could draft uh, on a whole range of things. Obviously, the predominant stuff is footy ability and physical yeah. capability. Yeah. Um, but we do look... It, it's probably not so much leadership, it is his character. Um, you know, a good character can become good leadership. Yeah. So we do look at that, and it doesn't necessarily mean that we would rule... No, that's not true. If If we... Um, my sort of part of this being the development team would we to say, no, this this guy's just not going to fit our environment. Low low humility, high ego uh, and a whole bunch of other stuff. We may, we may be more inclined to go, no, nah, we don't want him. Now, if he's a super talent and we need that what he has on the football field, maybe we go, okay, we back our environment and our leaders to help that person mm. change. So it's not as black and white as – I reckon
1: Geelong are really good at that. Right, where they've adopted a few, yeah,
0: and Sydney have always been good. Well, at you've Hall got what,
1: you've got the young lad who's come over from the well, previously at the Crows, who's Tyson up, Stengel, yeah, yeah exactly, and, and seems to be flourishing under the leadership of of uh, Selwood and Danger in that at the moment,
0: yeah, and it, look, getting him out of his home state where there are less influences, smaller yeah. town like along there's a whole bunch of things, but yeah, we do look at that. Um, the only caveat for people who, and sports a little bit different, I think it's it's great to draw some synergies, but there's also differences, but you get, can get caught in the trap of just recruiting for a type. So our culture is we are this. But if you only bring in people that are just like that, yeah. then you're missing out on one of the greatest assets for innovation and performance, which is diversity. Yeah. And diversity has to be managed because 100%. you are more inclined to have disconnections of beliefs and views and values. You might be finding it harder to manage the conflict. But conflict and, and a disconnected views is often what creates new ideas if it's done well. So you don't want to have that homo- homogenous um, environment where everyone's the same. Agree. We don't get anywhere then. So no. there's always a balance.
1: Uh, oh, yeah. Well, the diversity and inclusion piece is a, is a massive, massive thing, especially in the corporate world mm. where um, notoriously, you know, the old <laughs> – if you look at any board – 15 20 years ago it's the male pale and stale right and now the it's really exciting that you know organizations like the Australian Institute of Company Directors they're looking at and they push there's a real push on how to um, be more inclusive and be more diverse in boards and get those thoughts out there and we're seeing businesses reap the benefits of that especially through the innovation pieces mm, as you definitely. said. Definitely. What um let, let, can we? I'm interested in your career and how you did get to this point. We've kind of gone a bit of this ass about where we've uh, talked about all the the technical stuff. Can you tell us a little bit about your career and how you ended up in this world? And
0: and and you know what does it look like for you moving forward as well? Mm, that that I have no idea. Um, I probably should get a get myself a new mentor. Not yeah. that I haven't got anyone at the moment to work out where I'm going to go. But. Yeah. Um, yeah, the journey to here has been a different one. Uh, I did a commerce degree at Melbourne Uni, my old man, financial planner. I initially was going to major in um, finance and accounting because he's like, you know, get numbers, you'll be very employable. He's, he's quite pragmatic, risk averse. Um, but I, I got into, you know, the second year subjects. I was like, oh, this is terrible. And I did a week at Ernst & Young. One of the guys yep. on the board at Richmond was a partner there. And he set me up for a week in my off-season where I spent a day in each different department and quickly realized like audit, audit and tax were just not my thing. I could never do this. Yeah. Uh, but I loved the um, some of the other things like the mergers and acquisitions because there was this challenge of kind of get companies to come together. Um, so just the basic consulting stuff they did. So I reassessed, through a bunch of other experiences and said, no, I'm going to just go and do management and marketing, which at Melbourne Union was That's the easy way out. I was like, but I love strategy. I love ideas and I love people. And I'm in sport where I can use those things. So I started to go down this path. And late in my career, I had a a mentor that uh, was head of um, Nike Southeast Asia, Australia. And um, he organized my off-season to go and do an eight-week. At that point, it was a six-week into internship kind of thing at portland at nike's global office yeah, in portland well. oregon and i actually ended up retiring uh, i had another year in my contract probably tell that story later retired early and so i ended up being there for eight weeks and then didn't never came back to australia i'd, I'd traveled for a while and stayed in north america and at that point i was going into this well i'll probably get into sports marketing or brand marketing um But I lived in Toronto and they just didn't have any opportunities there at the time. If I'd been in Australia, Nike Australia, because of the, you know, when you're an athlete or, you know, a footballer, you do get helped out more than the average person um, if you're smart about it. So if I'd stayed here, I probably would have gone that path. Couldn't get work in Toronto. Like I met the head of one of the heads of um, brand – lucky brand marketing in Toronto in Canada and she said well it's nothing at the moment we give you a job selling shoes in one of our shops and (laughs) I honestly thought about it I was like I don't care I've just spent the last 11 years a professional athlete it'd be nice just to have a a, a job that I can not have to stress too much about anyway I didn't end up doing it I fell into this small consulting company with an Aussie guy um, in Toronto and he was a pitch consultant so he would help people with teams so one of his big clients was CBRE commercial real estate Pitch for big opportunities, you know, hundred million dollar developments that they wanted to go and win. And then there were also other companies in there like Audible that were trying to get. They were trying to integrate some of their their audiobook system into certain car manufacturers. So they'd go and pitch. Really interesting. Yeah, nice. I loved learning. This is maybe part of the why reason why public speaking um, became a thing as we sort of started with because I learnt the structure of how to be persuasive with with proper structure. But what I realized is every time I went into a CBRE or to an Audible, I wasn't looking at the pitch or worried about the money they could win. I was looking at the dynamics in the teams and why certain leaders did certain things. Yeah. And I then moved over to the UK for visa reasons more than anything. And um, I moved into a share house with some teachers. They were friends of mine. I needed some money. And so they said, oh, you used to do all these talks at schools, didn't you? I said, yeah, I used to talk about resilience and leadership and high performance. And But it was just from my experience as an athlete. They're like, yeah, we love that stuff. If you want some money, We could throw you a couple hundred quid to to do some stuff. So I'd go to schools a couple of times a week when I could and I'd talk about stuff that I kind of intuitively knew but didn't have any real solid foundation behind. Um, And I really, really enjoyed it. I was getting great feedback. but I was like, I'm not going to be able to make a long-term career out of this So I looked at where I could go and build my sort of background up a bit and found this Masters of Performance Psychology um, up in University of Edinburgh. So I was living in London, I'd do some cash gigs to try and get speaking gigs in schools and develop into workshops and stuff and I'd travel up every week to do my course up there and I'd come back. So that gave me this much better grounding around how individuals and teams um, can optimise their performance and then... It just kind of naturally flow with all these Aussies over in the UK. I'd have a beer with someone and I'd tell them what I was studying and doing. They'd go, oh, that's what my team needs. Yeah. So what do you mean? Oh, well, we, we struggle with just coming back from setbacks. Like our sales team, they have a tough week. I don't know how to get them back up. Or, oh, we've got these great people. They just don't work well together. And I'd go, oh, geez, yeah, well, you could try this. And they go, oh, you should – Can you come in and do it? I go. No, that was just an idea. I've never done this before. No, no, just come and do it. So I had these things where I'd walk Rock up and go. I have no idea what I'm doing here, (laughs) but I'll just pilot some things. You know, five percent more
1: than they do. So well,
0: maybe yeah. Yeah. Um, And that's kind of all sort of um, flowed out. And then I, um, I met my now fiance. I'm getting married next weekend. Um, Congratulations! What's her name? Lottie Charlotte Charlotte. so she we met in London Um, she's a doctor she was coming back to finish her last two years of um, specialization dermatologist and so she came back to um, Adelaide and I had another year of my masters and all this stuff going on so we sort of just said let's see how things play out but through 2019 I was traveling back and forth between Adelaide and London to see her and a bunch of other things in Australia and that's where I'd um, caught up with the Crows who at that point didn't have this position but through a connection went and had a beer with Andrew Fagan and just thought it was trying to build networks. And then as it all played out, they weren't sure who to fill this new role with, as I articulated before, it was just sort of thrust upon them by these external consultants. Um, And then Fakes just said, geez, this Dan Jackson guy, he's a good fella. He's got some unique backgrounds. He knows footy, maybe he's worth talking to. Um, And so that's kind of how the journey got here. It was this mismatch of, well, I understand business and I've, I've studied that. I've played high performance sports, so I know the stresses and the pressures I've then gone and I've learned how to um, articulate and strategize around business development and, and pitching, so the communication part of it. I've seen under the hood of a number of different industries and now I've gone and researched what high-performing individuals and teams do. It kind of all came together to go, well, it's a unique background. You haven't really got any runs on the board, but um, we'd love for you to come on this this journey. And that's where I am right now. So where does it go next? I'm still working that out a bit. I, I don't think I'll stay in sp- Solely forever. Um, I'd love to be at the crows until we reach um, the pinnacle of what we can, yeah. winning on and off the field. It's good for the resume. <laughs> good for the resume. And I learn every single day. Like COVID comes, there's yeah. no playbook. There's no, no research papers on that. So we learn how to manage through that. Yeah. But I love the idea of being able to apply what I learn in sport into business and spending time in business and learning what sport can learn from that. And even just still working with young. I love working with school kids around teaching them high performance and what it it takes to be an elite performer or what it takes to be resilient. So I probably need to work out in 10 years what do I specifically want to do because then I can channel it a bit more. But I've also always been of this mindset about just be curious, do lots of things and interesting people will find uh, opportunities for you to do interesting work.
1: It's so the Richard Branson way, say yes to everything and figure
0: out how you, how you do it later. Yeah. Uh, the
1: the resilience piece is one that's front and centre at the moment, you know, going through a pandemic, b- businesses working from home, sport has uh, been like, you know, has been decimated, especially from like the crowd point of view. And um, and even just now with, with, you know, teams, you look at West Coast, you know, and of, of late who have been... Half the teams out with with mm-hmm. COVID, and everyone's resilience is getting tested. What is what is some of those in those workshops? What were some of the key points that you? And even now, in some of the work that you're doing with the, the boys, the lads, and and the girls at the Crows, what are you? Um, yeah, what are you? What are you working on in the resilience space?
0: Uh, at the Crows, we have sort of a t- I head up the development team, so we have a psychologist who's there, a sports psych, and we've got um, three now. Really great. Player development slash welfare managers, so it's not just me. We'll kind of collaborate together. Yeah. Um, my pillars of resilience that you know, if I was going external to do, I would do a little bit of consulting outside. Um, so if I was going to a school or a corporate, the pillars that I work around for resilience: the first one, connection. Yeah. We have this huge issue now with we're so connected digitally, but we're so disconnected, particularly young people from each other. And you, you look at through history, we've been a tr- we are a tribal. People we've always had. You go to Italy, I mean, amazing your small towns in Italy, what happens at the end of the day? They're not sitting in there watching TV on the cat TV on the yeah. couch. They're out the front of their house, talking to each other's neighbors. They go to the local butcher who's known them since they were children, and they have this familiarity. So people are always checking out for them. So this idea of connection being a fundamental part of who we are. So there's a whole bunch of stuff you do in that space. And you talk about the vulnerability and authenticity yeah. and sharing. There's that one. Um, Another part for me is perspective. And this comes back to that idea of don't pave the path for the child, prepare the child for the path. That's for adults too. So being able to look at things with that challenge mindset versus threat, Mm -hmm. being able to reflect back on failures and actually take learnings and embrace them and realize that they don't reflect who I am. Like I'm better for having gone through through. this past experience. And then that mindfulness piece we chatted about earlier, which as I said, is less and less for me now about practicing meditation that's an element of it, it's actually being more mindful and being aware of how the world is impacting us right now and how we're impacting the world. So connecting with people, reflecting through to create the right perspective that's going to help us thrive, be yeah. resilient, and then being mindful how we behave. So they're, they're the three pillars that yeah. I work around.
1: That reflecting piece is a lot in like the growth mindset mm-hmm. versus fixed mindset stuff. Carol
0: Dweck's writing, you, you play on, the, on that a little bit? absolutely I yeah. mean you can help someone who's got a bit of a fixed mindset through reflective practices Could yeah. be journaling just different insightful questions help them realize where they actually are being fixed and mm. then help slowly move them across to you know, nothing's fixed like you can improve in this space or you can deal with this um, yeah, yeah that's a good example I reckon
1: it's a really good point because and
0: you know you, you talk about
1: uh, the easiest um, scenarios as adults and kids right where you can talk about the differences in mindset and I, there's this one story that really stuck out with me and, and I, I, as a parent, two young daughters of, you know, 10 and, and 10 and 8 years old and I apply these practices pretty much on a daily basis. There was one story I heard. It was a mother who um, her son had, you know, 13, 14-year-old son had, uh, had been doing a maths assignment all weekend, working really hard, getting it done, like put a whole heap of time and effort into it. And then on, on the day, on, on the Monday morning, he went off to school and he left the maths assignment on the, on the t- kitchen table. Forgot to take it into school. It was due that day, and so the the mum she sat there and she you know started freaking out a bit. It's like, oh no, I've got to I've got to run this into the school and I've got to save him, right? You know, I've got to, that save save mentality, but she stopped herself and she wrote this message on Facebook and said, you know, this is the scenario. This is what my my son's done. Um, what should I do? And it was there was an overwhelming response saying, no, no, he's got to learn his lesson. He's got to learn his lesson. Like leave it, and. Um, and so she did, and she she didn't run the the assignment to school, and and um you know was thinking about her her actions all day, and like oh you know what have I done, and like you know, and and so th- that night the son comes home and he and he walks into the kitchen, he goes oh my math assignment I, uh, I I forgot to take this in today. She goes oh I've been meaning to ask. How did you go? I saw it there, and I didn't know what to do, so I just thought oh you know maybe. You can He goes, no, I went in there and I went to pull it out of my bag to hand up and went to the teacher and I didn't have it. And, And then he goes, so what I did was then I explained to the teacher everything that I'd done and this is the way I did it and this is how I went about it and these are the answers that I got. And then the teacher's like, well, clearly you've done it. That's great. So just bring it in tomorrow, right? And so the opportunity to almost negotiate, the opportunity to then to work, through to work through a problem and, and talk through it and, and speak with another individual and go, hey, look, I have done it. I know what I'm talking about. Can we just renegotiate this day for tomorrow? Great life uh, skill. Yeah, that absolutely. Yeah, you think, bing, you know, I don't know if you've ever watched Inside Out, the kids movie, right? Where You know, like, you've created a memory, right? And I, I really think that is a, a pivotal part to learning is that you have to let people fail. You have to let them make the mistakes. And you would see that day in, day out in the sporting industry and world, wouldn't you?
0: Yeah, yeah. And sport, especially Aussie rules, it's a game of imperfection. It's mm. the team that makes the least mistakes that wins. Unlike American football, which you just can't afford to make mistakes. So yeah. for us, yeah, trying to navigate that with our guys and yeah, s- you can't- help them strive for perfection. We'll or help them strive for mastery, I think, is a better one. Because yeah. even the best pianist is never going to master playing the piano there's always another level so that idea of we want you to keep getting better but not to be perfect and it's a hard balance yeah if you get it right that comes back i think to that ability to play in a flow state because i will make mistakes and that's okay um but i won't take i won't rest at an inadequate performance i want to master my my game yeah
1: do you talk about effort because a lot of part of the a lot of the, the growth mindset is wrapped up not so much the result but the effort, right? It's mm. not so much about how I kick the ball at that particular point but it is the effort that it took me to go get that ball, right? It's the, the it's the head down, it's the, the grunt work, it's the lack of fear and whatever that comes along with running for that ball. Mm. Um, do, do you guys do much work in that space as well? I think
0: <coughs> what I've learned actually – since coming to the Crows and Nixie's amazing at this as a leader. So I I was probably playing in an era the tail end of the old school, which mm. is we ever tell you how good you are at anything. We just constantly tell you what your flaws are and yeah. then we push you to work harder and harder. And yeah. In my experience, it just created a whole lot of self-doubt and yeah. took attention away from the things that I was good at. So that everyone would know now that sporting, worlds, schools, is all about positive affirmation, positive reinforcement Yeah. Now i have a little asterisk like there are times where you have to be firm and and have all that stuff but put all that aside the thing that i've learned is there is so much power in that positive reinforcement of the smallest behaviors and i mean even i've got a dog got a puppy his name's ernie hungarian vizsla full of energy (laughs) but i've just learned now and again there's a balance like all the trainers say everything's got to be positive like don't have any um you don't you don't trying to of an example that won't get me in trouble because i don't hit my dog but yeah you know if the dog jumps up they say just just ignore it and eventually he'll learn that that's something that you don't value which i disagree with like yeah. if the dog's jumping out we've got little kids running around like we can't afford that so he's got to be kicked down he's got to be pushed down and, and yelled no Absolutely. he has to know boundaries but you realize when you just give any kind of he loves he'll do anything for um for love he doesn't care for food but if he just he's so busy, business business or a velcro dog yeah if you give him the love then he'll do anything. So he does a small behaviour, shower him with love. He wants to do it again. And I've seen that now again and again at, at the crows, where there might be a player who has poor work ethic in the gym for a whole bunch of reasons, just never learned to push himself or whatever it might be. And I've seen the power of if someone invests just a small bit of positivity into a little gain, and make that little bit of effort to do a harder session to pump them up for it. It's just like the puppy; they walk a little, You see their behaviour change. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You, Think I'm looking a bit stronger? Absolutely you are. Yeah, I've seen you working out in there. You definitely look stronger out in the field, whether it's true or not. I mean, the behavior has to be genuine, yeah. but the outcome may not have happened yet. What happens the next time they go into the gym? They go in there and they're like, well, I, yeah, I, I maybe I felt, felt good the other day, so I'm going to lift a bit stronger. And slowly what happens is you keep reinforcing. They change their self-identity, the way they talk to themselves or how they see themselves as well. I, I, everyone's told me I'm lazy in the gym too oh, no, I am someone who works hard. I am big and strong. And then what, six months? might take six months, might take 12 months. All of a sudden, they are big and strong and they walk into the gym and they have this swagger about them. And you go, I remember you 12 months ago, you were skinny, you were lazy, you shirked all the work that you were supposed to do. Traditionally, that approach would have just been, oh, we need to knuckle down, we need to make sure they do this work. And it was all this negative reinforcement, which Mm. just never worked. Well, it did work for some. But these days, I've, yeah, I'm much more a believer in just find that sliver of the behavior you want and make someone feel good about it. Yeah. But don't think that you can't choke the chain of someone who yeah. you're managing like you would a dog I at agree. That, I sometimes. think
1: you have to finesse your way through it, right? Because you, you've got – it's a, the push and pull. You can provide someone um, – you know, a- agonist antagonist. You you can p- provide someone with with so much positivity that they start believing that they're better than everyone else, right? So then you've got to hang on a second. You've got so there's this. You've got to still got to be real with that. Absolutely, for sure. Um, and you don't want people to get too it. You're just going, oh, hang on. Everyone's telling me I'm the best, so therefore I am the best. Absolutely. So, so yeah, they, it, you have to finesse your way through that. I struggle with my kids on the real positivity. Like I, I am very positive. I, I believe I'm emotionally intelligent and all the above, but when they do something that you just, like they play basketball. So I'll use basketball as an example. They just don't run. They're just not, they're not going for the ball. <laughs> not board. getting up and down and the court. They're not getting up and down the court. And so, and so, my attitude is like, that's not good enough because A, you're letting people down, right? You've got to put in the effort. I don't, I don't care if you miss the, the, you know, if you have a shot and you miss, that doesn't, but the simple fact that you're not. Presenting is the big problem for me, so I, I go pretty hard on that space. But all the other soft stuff, you go, you know, when you got the ball, you did really well. <laughs> you bounced, you took, you took, you know, you fended off. You did this, you did that, fantastic. Keep doing that. But I need more of this. Right? Yeah, I
0: think there's a yeah, there is a there's a bit of. Well, a I guess way. that's that opportunity when they do. Like there might be one quarter in the game or the one game where one of the girls is you know actually worked up and down the court, and then afterwards, it's like I saw you running. Oh. Oh, I've never seen you run yeah, that hard before that was, that was amazing. amazing you know then oh thanks Dad yeah doesn't guarantee the behavior change but there's a little marker that memory you're thing, one of the inside out thing. memories oh that that's really proud of me when I work hard He didn't yeah. even say anything about the points that I scored yeah and that's the growth <clears throat> mindset part in that yeah
1: way. it's the it's the positive reinforcement of the, the journey, effort the journey and the effort yeah. as opposed the to outcome. The, the outcome correct um, I, I just want we go touching back on the leadership stuff – I'm curious, I'd, I'd, like, uh, I'd like to hear some stories. Who was one of the best leaders that you worked under or played under within when you were in
0: the AFL? Ooh, good question. I mean, I had one, two, three, I think, yeah, four technically senior coaches, one, two, three, four captains um, and then a bunch of other people, a couple of CEOs. Mm-hmm. So a- as a footballer, I saw... Lots of different ones. And I think probably I saw great things in, in each of them and all different yeah. iterations of time too. Um, I think the early ones, so Wayne Campbell and Kane Johnson for all those vintage mm. people out there, yeah. they were very, very good at building strong connection with their peers but with that connection also very demanding of standards and I think that's a really important balance of any generation of you've got to show people you care but if you're going to get hype, create a high-performing environment, you've got to be able to have those hard conversations. You've got to demand excellence. You've got to be able to pull that chain of the puppy and go, hey, this is not tolero- tolerable. Yeah. We can't just be friendly, which I think is a big challenge in leadership at the moment, or yeah. the HR stuff we get worried about. Yeah. Um, so I think they gave. Yeah, they were great in, in that space. I think um, Chris Newman and Trent Cochin were the next two along, and they're very different in some ways, but very similar. They were very good at – um, whereas the first two would build connection through going for a beer and being one of the lads. They yeah. were very good at building genuine connection based on care and checking in yeah. and um, showing that there's it's important to have balance in life and that family is important. So they're very good at role modelling the mm. behaviours, both very hard hard workers in their own right. Probably not as confrontational as the first two, um, but they got outcomes because people knew that they cared about them and they didn't want to let them down. Mm. Um, so they were from from an from a on-field sort of off-field yeah to play specific but Brendan Gale and Peggy O'Neill were fantastic leaders um, at the Crows I see a lot of Tim at Silvers Richmond. sorry yeah at yeah. Richmond I see a lot of Tim Silvers in the way they both go yeah. about it of really really humble but having this I like this idea of having a strong ego but not a big ego so mm. very strong in their convictions of what they stand for and what they expect and how they want their people to behave but not done in that egotistical, that big ego kind of way that it's my show. In fact, they're, they're so far from that. Um, so they're, they're two leaders, again, that I, I guess I can share that people who have, know the football world. Yeah.
1: Um, understand. Who, who
0: are some of the leaders that you see in today's game,
1: in any club, not, not just the Crows, but any club, and you think
0: this is, this is what leadership looks like? Ooh might take me too long to a nail on one, but my pinnacle of great leadership in the moment, I think comes down to that balance again, what I just explained around those who can have build meaningful connection with the people, their followers, hmm. the people they lead, but also be firm with them. I just think that's the balance we need to get back yeah. to. I, I sort of look at it as traditionally in all walks of life, we used to have, well, not just in all walks of life, sorry, but in, in business and sport because sport is obvious, we have to perform, but in business, we get a bit lost around what our outcome is. But if I'm, um, if I'm CEO of a Fortune 500 company, I have to deliver um, value for the shareholder. That's part of what I need to do, or I'm gonna lose my job. If I'm in the military and I'm leading a platoon in a battle, well, my job is to keep them alive and, and, and execute the mission. Again, if I don't do that, then we don't, we don't succeed. And if I'm principal of a early learning center, I need to develop and nurture these children, and that's performance. So mm. performance has become a dirty world. And no, no, we need to make sure we nurture people, make them feel good. No, we do. If that helps us reach performance, yeah. If we go to World War Three, which I used to just give as a sort of off-the-cuff statement, but now becoming a bit more yeah. stressful to say that. <laughs> like the nurturing part may not be important for a while. We may back go back to a bit of the old-school leadership, which is we just have to drive results yeah. because lives situational are leadership, right? Exactly. So traditionally, the situational leadership demanded or the, the, the lever we pulled to get the outcome of performance was fear. So mm. if you don't do this, I'm going to dock your pay. I'm going to put you in the boxing ring as a footballer. I'm going to yell and scream at you. We now realize that that doesn't work. Like People don't respond to that. They know they can go and get other jobs. They know they can leave relationships. They know they just don't have to tolerate anymore. They mm. can go to HR and say, this guy's a bully. I want him gone. We still need the performance outcome, though. So where I'm seeing what great leaders do, they've still got to pull a lever to get performance. You can't have people just come in there and have a great time and not work. But what, how they do it now is through this lever of, of love and care. So if I build a strong relationship with you, like you and I have met a few times, but we don't have a strong relationship, if I didn't rock up today, I'd feel guilty because we'd met before, but it's not going to be the end of me. If yeah. we were great mates or if we were brothers or we had a really strong relationship, I'm never not going to rock up because mm. I don't want to let you down. We've, it goes back to the hormone stuff, the oxytocin, the dopamine, the yeah. serotonin that comes through our interactions and the, the environment we create. I, I want that. Like I don't want to feel anxious for letting you down. Mm. I don't want to have shame, the Brene Brown stuff. So yeah. we get the outcome and you want me to come here and we want to have a great chat, but you don't do it by threatening me. Um, similarly, as a football coach, well, sometimes you've got to rant and rave, but genuinely what I'm seeing now, the great leaders in sport, building that care, building that love so people don't want to let them down, whether yeah. that be a captain or a coach. And then that becomes so much more sustainable. Like that's kind of inspiration versus the fear lever is more motivation. You'll mm. get something for a while, but eventually people become dead to the ranting and the raving yeah. and the fear. Their body just goes, "Wow, well, I'm tired of being stressed. I'm just going to block you out. Versus on the other side, you can never get enough of the love and the connection and the, Absolutely. the belonging. I love it. Um, Pixar and Disney got that right in the
1: in the movie Monsters Inc. I watch a lot of kids' movies, right? I remember but, we chatted this uh, last yeah, time. I but, think I need to go back and watch that. Yeah, but Monsters Inc. We, we, you, yeah, we did talk about this last time. You I, said I, go. I, I wonder whether it was on a podcast or not. But yeah, we we um so Monsters Inc. it's like when you uh the the movie starts off with, you know, in the monster world they've got these doors which open to these kids' closets, right? And 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 they they, the way they generate energy for the monster community or the monster city is through the screams of the child. So it's like scare them. And then they got this thing that captures the scream and they get energy from that. And it was, it was worked out that um, later and the whole movie goes through but it's worked out that actually there's so much more power in making the child laugh on the other side, right? And you talk about love and, and for me it was just a really good analogy for life that is that movie is that yeah you you only go so far with a fearful scream but you can get a lot further with you know a joyful laugh and and um it's definitely something that I've really sort of put on as a hat and that's kind of the hat that I try to wear as a leader whether I whether I get it right all the time I mean Paula's sitting there now she's smiling and probably nodding her head but uh no <laughs> shaking her head I should say but um yeah I think that I think you're right, and look, it's definitely a shift. If you're looking at from sport and AFL back in the day, the beer drinking, uh, you know, you'll be right. Get up, don't miss a game, you know. And but it's similar for the corporate world mm. where you know if you're sick, you know, just get up and go to work anyway. Whereas now you can start seeing, no, if, actually, if you're sick, we gotta we gotta work on this. And especially mm. mental health is something that's picking up a lot more. Are you okay? Like these sort of days are coming out. What? What is your thought process on where this is going for let's talk sport and then we can kind of connect it back into the corporate world but how much more vulnerable can you get like and, and is that something that you you guys are working on is there is there a fine line is there
0: this Goldilocks zone that it's going to stay yeah I think I wouldn't say vulnerability is a fad but vulnerability is sexy because we hear these stories about oh well, this group they really they they were vulnerable, they opened up and it just it was so amazing to see the emotion in the room and they all banded together and they went and performed. Like, yeah, there's truth in those stories. I've I've seen and witnessed them and been a part of them, but it's not no, I don't think it's the sole thing. What really the what where I think it's going for sport and not any tribe, any group that comes together, I think it comes back to this hormonal state. Um, I think I mentioned to you one of the books that I sort of recommend the most around the leadership culture space by Owen Eastwood called Belonging. And I remember if he writes about it in the book, but he explained it well in a podcast. You know, we said before, it's so hard to quantify, put your finger on what culture is and how it influences. Like a lot of people become a bit cynical and they go, yeah, but honestly, it's just a nice to have, isn't it? It's mm. not that important. Mm. Well, the way he articulates it, so I always, I should just claim these things and yeah. pretend I thought of it myself, <laughs> but I didn't. No, no. Um, he talks about, okay, well, if we know that um, – someone's hormonal state influences their performance. So if they have high cortisol and high adrenaline, and they've got all these things that are making them, all the stuff we've chatted about, then they're not in an optimal way, a position to perform. And we all agree on that. There's enough science, we've all experienced it, that when we're stressed, like at certain levels of stress for sure, but once we get too much, uh, it's no good for us. So if we agree on that, and then we go, the environment that we're in impacts our hormonal state, So the leader energy in the room, again, the stuff we've talked about. Now we have a direct correlation that the leader who creates their environment, the organization creates an environment that either optimizes people's physiological state or it doesn't, it makes it worse. And then those people become, they end up the the victim or the beneficiary of that environment. The output you get will be dependent on that. So Mm -hmm. the culture... Performance um, relationship is very, very linked. We just don't have strong data on it yet because mm. we don't, we can't do the blood prick like we can with. And that's where I think I'd love the to therapist. find someone if they can tell me. You do? How's my <laughs> diabetes? I'll go and check my levels, um, insulin levels right now. Click go. Okay, I would love to find a technology where you could just use the same te- technology to go. This person's in an absolute optimal state, and maybe it's too hard because everyone's optimal state is different. But mm. we could get a range of. Yep, there's a little bit of stress here because we need a little bit of stress. Geez, this person's feeling connected to their peers right now. This is amazing. Like, Mm. whatever they've got is is really, really powerful. This is trust. This is the science of trust. Yeah. If we could do that and create optimal environments where every day people come to work and they're in that place, they're going to do great work. You're going to win more often than you lose. And if vulnerability. Quality in life goes up. Yeah. If vulnerability helps to build that connection, then we go, great. This situational leadership, this person or this group, they thrive in vulnerability. But I guarantee you there are people when you – with my technology that doesn't exist, when you click their <laughs> well, finger – Elon Musk is creating something like that. Isn't there you go. You're well, like he's new, putting new the chip in your brain. brain. Yeah. come back to that yeah. later on. Um, you go, vulnerability causes them huge stress. Some people don't want to share. So if you come in there, if I come in there as a consultant and go, guys, I have the pinnacle of building connection, vulnerability. Some people will go, oh, I love talking about myself and being vulnerable. Others will go, this could go either way and maybe it works for them. And there'll be other people who just – physiologically just clam up and go this is my greatest fear yeah it's not fair to those people to no. make them be vulnerable and you're not going to get the outcome you want so that's when it comes to vulnerability i think it plays a part in the right environments where is the future of it going i think it's us i ideally don't want to have to put a chip in my brain but you might get the same outcome <laughs> i'm happy to do bide measurements but yeah. i think we're saying the same thing
1: yeah i think just being out of one, I mean you it's when you can when you can track it you can measure it and you can improve on it, right? And, mm. and where um, human beings are suckers for patterns, we like to see patterns, and we want to. We want
0: data. Yeah, we want. Data. We believe that data is the story, and that's yeah. the thing people. Well, I mean, get that's why you, when
1: you look up in the night sky, and apparently people see pictures up there. I don't see anything, but <laughs> but you're uh, um, that's the human being looking for a pattern. That's
0: what we're trying to do. We've always been that way, and that's why we take data now. Being physical, you know, it's the mm. new it's the new commodity but data will tell you any story you want it to tell. I remember when I started yeah. the Masters and I don't have a great science background, so I battled through, they gave the example of, I can't even, it's not called provability, but anyway, that once upon a time, they believed that all swans were white. Mm. And that was fact. It's fact because we know that all swans were, how do we know? Because we've never seen a black swan. And then, and this is probably not a true story, I'll put May on it. They come to Australia and they see these black swans with red bills, and they go, wow, okay, all swans are white or black. And so the data at the time tells the story, which becomes the truth. And someone else had who may have come in earlier and said, I'm pretty sure there are other colored swans. No, you are wrong. So you've got to be really careful <laughs> yeah. or just because they someone says- They coined a phrase well,
1: about it, the black swan event. <laughs> it's like, yeah, oh, it's a very common telling, event then,
0: is it? <laughs> telling the story poorly. But in essence, that's what we can do with any data. Yeah, we go, right. oh, we've, we've got this. These are numbers. This is hard science. Well, yeah, but you're construing it to tell the story that suits the narrative that right now might be real. I-, I, I Look at medicine, and I go. I bet in 500 years' time, hopefully less than that, they'll go like we do. With we talk about 500 years ago using leeches to bloodlet. you will go. We used to douse people with radiation to deal with cancer. Yeah. That is inhumane. They yeah. look. Oh, they're bald and they're sick, and some people died. Like, why would they have done that? Yeah, but right chemical, now we go. Well, that's what medical science tells put us. Chemicals that's, through their body. Yeah, that's right.
1: Yeah, look, and and the data and that. I mean, look, we can get into the AI world, but we've had um, we've had a gentleman on the show. Uh, Dr. Terry Sweeney, who uh, is the CEO of a digital research center, the the digital health research center. And he, in that conversation, he was talking about, we've got that much data that we can use now, but it comes down to privacy, Mm -hmm. privacy issues. He's like, right now, if someone, let's say a 40-year-old, 40 to 50-year-old male, uh, Anglo-Saxon male, got prostate cancer, in, in, this situ, in this environment and all the other, these are all the, this is his blood type, this is this, 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 the other. We could literally pull the data that we've got from across the world and go, these are the, um, the treatments that worked 95% plus of the time for that individual in that circumstance. Just through AI, putting it through a machine, bang, mm. bang, bang, bang. But we're not allowed to use information like that because of oh, privacy really? laws. Yeah, yeah. like this, there it's go. such an amazing. And so we've got the data. It's just what we're now allowed to do with it. Um, so you're right. It, the data does tell the story. Media bend data more in more ways than one. Because they're
0: storytellers more than
1: well, Correct, and they they use the data. But you could use the same point at, data point in three different conversations. Exactly. Yeah.
0: Which not to say I don't think. I think data is very important. I just think we've got to be very careful when we say this is the facts that the data are telling us. Absolutely. Because you can listen to Joe Rogan. He'll tell you all kinds of facts uh, that I don't necessarily agree with. Agreed. <laughs> agreed. Yeah, he lost his
1: way through. I think he's trying to claw his way back now, which is good, Mr. Joe That's Rogan. a rabbit hole we don't need to go. Uh, it is. I am conscious of time. Um, I reckon I had 20-odd questions here and we only ask a handful of them, so we'll have to do a, another podcast another day. But – as we round off, we always ask um, a few quick fire questions. But before I do that, I do want to touch back on what does the future look like for you? What, what outside of sport and yeah, obviously you're getting married and, and kids are coming your way. You said you're going to raise some kids in the future. Um, what, what does the future look like for Dan Jackson?
0: Yeah, it's a good question. As I said before, I'm sort of reluctant to go and say, to even do the work, to go, this is where I want to be in 10 years because mm. it's always served me well to keep an open mind. Like going down a path, like I I have a really clear purpose statement or vision for me personally, which is to enlighten people to what's possible and then inspire, inspire and empower them to achieve it. Um, because that then is underpinned by my values, which are curiosity, compassion, and courage. So if every day I'm living my curiosity, value, and learning, like this conversation helps me learn and reinforce what I believe, um, hopefully my people listening, they're now a bit more enlightened to some things they may not have thought of. Hopefully I've shared some things that they feel empowered um, that they can go and use to try, and then uh, hopefully we've both inspired them to do it. So if that's, if that's, that's kind of my motivation for doing this, yeah. every day I go to the crows, I've got the ability to – execute on that help a young man on or off the field or woman um, learn something about themselves which helps them go and perform better so I'm very clear with what I'm trying to do every single day that mission part though about what that looks like to like I'm curious about maybe going and doing a PhD and leveraging my connections in elite sport to do some really good research around um, leadership and culture and high performing environments but then I go what I've seen a lot of people get down these rabbit holes of PhDs and they find the data and they just block out everything else that could be out there. So yeah, you, maybe i do that. Maybe I'd maybe I'd like to write a book about more the subjective experiences and interview people. You know, you've come across a lot of great leaders. I see the photos on the walls, You know, capture their experience and mm-hmm. then share that. But And maybe I just want to consult and, um, and do what I'm doing now. I'm going to be married to a dermatologist. Maybe if she wants to work a lot, maybe I'll just be a great dad and, <laughs> and walk the dog and, and go running and do triathlons. I, I don't really know, but I think as long as I'm, I, I genuinely believe as long as I'm consistent with that personal purpose and, and living those values, wherever, wherever I end up when I'm 45 in 10 years' time, um, will be a place I'm content with. Mm. Um, I might be wrong. People might go, no, you've got to have a clearer goal, but I'm sort of tossing that around at the moment. I don't think so. I think, I think if you live to your values,
1: I think you know what makes you sing, right? Mm. You know what makes you feel good.
0: So naturally you kind of find the path of least resistance to that space anyway. That's my view. Yeah. But I also, and we won't talk about it now, but I'm a huge believer in goal setting. So I have this
1: balance of if you don't have
0: clear direction, there'll be missed opportunities.
1: Yeah. But we, can you, can you look back in your career and think about the missed opportunities?
0: For sure. Like this is, you know, people ask the question, are there any regrets? Is there anything you would change? Like there are so many things I could have done better as a footballer. Like I'd, 100% 100% if I had myself now as a 17-year-old when I got drafted, instead of retiring and having played 156 okay games and a few seasons that sort of stood out and a lot of rubbish ones, I reckon I could have played 250 games and had a lot of success on and off the field. But I would never change it. It goes back to that perspective, yeah, reflection piece. Yeah. Like I can sit here now and talk about the things I do passionately because I lived through making bad decisions and I had to go and learn and yeah. speak to people um,
1: I think hindsight's a wonderful thing though, right? And and
0: if you you think about
1: going back and, yeah, I could have played 250 games, you may not have learned what you know now.
0: Absolutely. And you
1: may not be changing people's lives. You might have been a washed up footballer just do you know what I mean? Like it could have. I was going to say like commentating and doing better yeah. it, right? on something, that I would do not want to get myself in trouble. <laughs> no, 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 no. We won't go down that. <laughs> uh, but you could have grown a beard like Bucks. Now, I, <laughs> I, but I think that's the the thing is you you don't know you, you don't actually know. And then you say I could have changed all this. I could have changed all that. But it might have actually sent you down a path that you might not have wanted gone down. Less you, fulfilling. Yeah, you you play a hundred. You play an extra hundred games and you win a few extra um, um, Breston Ferris and and throw in a premiership there, I mean, you might get introduced to someone who's on the wrong side of the fence. All of a sudden, you're um snorting a few extra lines of coke. And do you know what I mean? Like you, you just don't we just know. don't know. Yeah, exactly. Just... And I think that's the. If you're, it sounds to me like everything that you're doing with your life is is true to what you want to be doing right now with what you've got i yeah. think you know that's a testament and kudos to you for where you are well i'd say it's
0: a testament to the the people along the journey that have sort of invested in me i mean my willingness to want to be invested in that's probably the um the, my advice for young people is always just be curious and mm. you know, ted lasso be curious oh not is judgmental yeah. um yeah, that's probably something that I learned early that has served me well because I've met people who have been willing to help and offer advice and I've had the humility and you know, open mind, curiosity to to listen. Um, but I've had some amazing people that have helped course correct along the way and I think I've just been the beneficiary of that. Um, and that's why I hope sometimes I yeah, can do that for others. Absolutely. Surrounding
1: yourself with great people I think Key is, to is,
0: is 100%. Hmm.
1: There's no other way. and and. If you struggle and there's a lot of people that come to me and say, Dan, um, you know, how, how do I find a mentor? How, how do I find a coach? I think it, it's being open and curious, right? It, that's really uh, been my strength is similar to you in the sense that if it, if it gets thrown at me, I'll try to catch it and I'll, and I'll figure it out and then I'll just ask questions and I'll be curious and I'll learn more and um, and strive for excellence. I have a sporting background in the junior career, so elite sport in, in my junior days. But I actually believe sport is fundamental to success, like just the mentality of application and how you you go about training and how you go about the thought process of improvement, mm. right? And you set goals and all this thing, working with a team, mm. you know, working with different personalities. You've got egos over here. You've got some people who aren't trying so much over there. Like it's just uh, – It helps teach a lot of life. It it's not does. the only
0: way but it's one that's accessible to everyone. You don't have to be at the elite level. To learn a lot of those things, I don't think. Agreed, hundred percent.
1: Right, quick fire questions. What are you reading right now?
0: Oh, actually, I started a book club with some of the boys when I first started. Because when, when I, I played, played no one talked about what they read. So I'm kind of. It was actually my turn this time. And given what's happening in the world, we're reading *Prisoners of Geography* because oh. um, it has a lot. There's a whole chapter on Russia and why they would never let. This is from a few years ago. Let the Ukraine join NATO or whatnot. So the context around why the world is as it is. Um, socially, politically, economically, a lot it ties into how he's, he's an expert in geography. How geography influences those those things. Yeah, wow. Um, so that's, that's interesting. Yeah, very relevant. It, exactly. It's a re- yeah. it's it's was it called prisoners prisoners of, of geography by okay. Timothy? I forget his last name. Um, yeah, we'll but I it. We'll put it in the show notes. Yeah, and then the other one uh, I've just finished, which was more of my own choice. You know, I did choose the other one for the book club. Was um, I think it's seven facts about the brain by okay. Margaret. Uh, Anyway, that was that was pretty. It was just one of these books that helps make neuroscience accessible, so Mm. you don't have to know the science background to actually enjoy it and take a lot from it. Yeah,
1: nice. Yeah, I don't actually. I'll I'll have a read of that one. I think Seven Um,
0: Small Facts About the Brain, something like that.
1: Yeah, excellent. What's one book like? you, You talked about belonging before as being one book that you've recommended. Yeah. Can you provide another book that you've recommended more so than others? And that's from a point of view of of the self-development, from a point of view of becoming – improving our own behaviour.
0: Yeah, I think one of the early books I read that helped really set me up because it's one of the um, pinnacles of high performance was the Power of Habit by Charles Duhigg. Mm-hmm. Now, a lot of people go to James Clear's Atomic Habits, mm-hmm. but he basically just rewrote the book, Me The did. Modern Thing. And I, I I like both, but I'm a loyalist to Charles Duhigg yeah. and Power of Habit. So for something that's explicitly that you can go in there and realize that like, success is just built on doing the little things right every single day, I thought that was a really good book. But I don't know, it's less of a self-help book, but Victor – Frankel's "Man oh, Search for Meaning. it's my favorite book of all time. Exactly. And when you're struggling, go back and read that book yeah. and put life into perspective. I yeah. think that's probably the book that I would have given you. Well, there's more. your stimulus response right there. Exactly.
1: That's one of my
0: favorite books of all time. Powerful. Yeah.
1: Um, I'm. If you would ask me that question, what are you reading right now? Um, I'm reading Charles Duhigg's Smarter, Better, Faster. Also because, an elite uh, book uh, Absolutely amazing. Yeah, Hasn't dated at all. No, Even with all the new science stuff, brilliant. the
0: principles are great. 100%. <clears throat>
1: uh, do you listen to any other podcasts other than this one, of course? <laughs> uh
0: Yeah, I mean, I could throw out, you know, Brene Brown and all yeah. that, but one I, I like to recommend because I know the guy, um, oh, what's it called? His name is Cody Royal and his podcast is called, I think it's Where Others Won't. He's now released a couple of books, but he speaks to a lot of coaches and athletes and looks at how we can th- shift our thinking around Coaching or high performance, and looks at it. Well, what can well, let's not get stuck in the lane of what's always been done? So, yeah, Cody Royals, where others won't. Um,
1: so coaches is in sport, coaches, sport coaches not, yeah, not life
0: coaches like all the above, or well, just, he talks um, to business people as well. Yeah. But he's got a, a thing in sport, but he, he's like you and I, has a passion for sport and experience in sport, yeah. but likes to tie and do cross learning across yeah, the industry, yeah. so not just for sports people. I'm gonna check that out, it'd be good, yeah, good one.
1: Um, What's one lesson that's taking you the longest to learn? That is a Brené question. I've stolen that from her podcast actually.
0: That's a good question. There's probably lots of them. Um, I'd say, I mean, one of the things I mentioned earlier that I learned early days was about being interested, not interesting. Like if you're talking, if you're the person talking the most in the room, you're not learning as much as you could. Mm. Um, And I have lived that, that curiosity. I love it. But I catch myself now realising and I'm trying to develop this as a skill I have. a photo, of not a photo, an image of Socrates, sort of across from my desk on the wall, to remind me to lead, use Socratic method of questioning. So I have a point that I want to make because I know I'm generally older and I've got some life experience. So I go, oh, I could share this wisdom. And now I've realised the power in helping someone else get to that piece of wisdom through their own experience and narrative. So the ability to ask questions, be um, interested not interesting it's mm. very easy for me to go and tell stories because I like to storytell and I've mm. had a lot of life experience but be interested in someone else and then allow them to guide their own way and at the right time share an anecdote or share mm. some research so it's something that I've really lived on being interested and interesting but I think i have constantly trying to come back to it and go to the next level of what that looks like oh, I love it uh,
1: it's one of the things I actually um, I actually apply that method in, in the sense that I remember, was it How to Win Influ- Friends and Influence People? Do you remember that book? Yeah, it was. I think there was a piece in there which says if you let you could go to an event and let and speak to someone the whole night and say te- say a maximum of ten words, and that person will, who is just talking about themselves the whole time will walk away thinking it was the best conversation that they've ever had. Right? Yep. So you'd you're be interested. It, 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 it does. It has a really positive effect on people. Powerful. It is. Um have are you into stoicism by any yeah, chance yeah, yeah. so have you met read meditations by Marcus meditations
0: or, or the like, one the piece that i probably take the most from or the book was um letters from a stoic oh i was about Seneca. to say Seneca's letters yeah, I that more than that's,
1: con, that's never leaves my bedside table it's
0: pick it up read a chapter at night yeah when,
1: when, like just whenever i feel like i need to earth out i pick up that book and just have a it read it's it it is a tough read for for people but Um,
0: you go it slowly reread. there are more takes on it Ryan Holiday now has taken a lot of it and made it really accessible he's popularised it but yeah brilliant
1: we could go talk about this (laughs) Uh, what's some of the best advice that you've ever received
0: Mm. I guess without going back to be interested not interesting I've always loved and I don't think I received it but um, Laird Hamilton one of the pioneers in big wave surfing must have watched it in a doco or this is pre-podcast days he had this saying that I um, really resonated with, which was I'd rather live a life of oh wells than a life of what ifs. Mm-hmm. I think so many people, um, they live in this space of they don't take risks for fear of what could happen. Yeah. Whereas his attitude was, I think the question was probably like, are not you worried about dying? He's like, well, I'd rather be oh well than what if, what mm-hmm. I could have been. And I've loved that. Like, I think it's underpinned a lot of my decision-making in life, like retiring at 28 with a year on the contract, having won the best and fairest the year before, there's a lot to walk away from. But if I didn't, I would have had all these what-ifs around, but what if I'd gone overseas? and What if I'd gone mm. and done other things? Like you said, I could have played another 100 games. Well, I, I said that. If I, things had gone well, played another 100 games, played along 33, start a family, really sustainable things that I, I, I value, but there'd be this lingering what-if. And maybe there's always a risk that I regretted having retired early. And this mm. is one example, but I'm much happier to deal with the, oh, well, you know, I tried and it didn't yeah. work out than the what-if, so... Yeah, I I'd love that.
1: With me. Oh, well, what if? If you could invite three
0: people to dinner, who would they be? Oh, wow, well, that's a tough one. Actually, one of the guys yesterday, I ran a session and asked a few of the younger boys about sharing a leader you admire and why. And this guy, he's not actually so young. He's in our leadership group now. He was a part of the session. I'll share him because he's a genius, Riley O'Brien. He said, yeah. Genghis Khan. I said, why? And he he's, he just reads things and remembers them all and then articulates stuff amazingly. And he explained, you know, he went through, and I've read a bit around Genghis Khan, but – A ruthless dictator in some ways but this ability to unite many different literal tribes communities to come under his empire and his open-mindedness to get people to change his mind on what innovation looks like and he wouldn't necessarily subjugate to the degree and and go in there and slaughter he would go right if you want to come on board you're on board and I want to adopt some of your practices because I like them and I love that balance of of hard leadership with open mind I don't Mm. think we need as much of the hard anymore though raping and pillaging. Yeah. Um, but I think he'd be a, I'd be curious to pick his brain on.
1: Yeah. Um, in in today's
0: society. It would be interesting putting yeah, his putting, putting his brain in today's society. I just think a guy that conquered three quarters of the world is oh. going to be fascinating. I don't know what you feed him. He might a, it down, isn't but
1: there a statistic about half the population of the world related to? Well, Jesus yeah, right? I just, think just yeah, some <laughs> <laughs> of what he did.
0: So I think I'd have him. And actually, yeah, yeah. now that you bring it up, I'd probably either go Seneca or Marcus Aurelius. In fact, yeah. probably Marcus Aurelius because I'd like to know more about how Stoicism was applied. And yeah. that guy led the Roman Empire. Yeah. I'm a yeah. history buff and leadership, so they'd be two. And then. Whenever I get asked this, not that it happens all the time, but I'd always invite my gran because mm. my gran, she passed a few years ago. We were really close and she was the one that instilled the value of learning and, and curiosity. Mm. As a little kid, I'd go off to – she'd take me to the museum and she'd take me to the botanical gardens and teach me about – she'd take me to the miniature train place and teach me about trains and my, and my granddad. But um, I'd invite her because she would just ask them amazing questions mm. and I'd just be sitting there going like, oh, I'm learning so much cool stuff. Yeah, That's such a good point. Find people who ask good questions.
1: Mm. And this is why I started the podcast because I actually just believe in the idea of asking amazing questions, and I'm still not there yet. But I feel like I'm, I'm getting better, and no, better. You've done well today. I appreciate it.
0: If you had access to a time machine, with uh, where would you go? I've been thinking about this. I there's lots of things in the past that I'd love to know. But just last year, I, I read um, Homo Deus, the I guess sequel to yeah. Homo Sapiens. And as much as I love history. I would love to go to the last days of either the last human on earth or I'd like to know where we go because then I hopefully with my role can influence the next generation of leaders to make sure we don't stuff it up. He paints a pretty bleak picture and I think he's trying to just bring people, not to be alarmist, to make people realize guys like Elon Musk have these visions, but they may not balance out the values that we as a human species need to embody um change for change sake or technology for technology sake is not necessarily a good thing we see it with the degradation of the environment so i'd like to go to the end of time and work out what we can do maybe it's great and i go sweet i don't have to do anything but if we've stuffed it up along the way if i can help a little bit now then um i think that'd be a time machine
1: that's awesome Sapiens and Homo Deus are two of the greatest books. Like, as a sequel, no, uh, Noah Harari or Yuval Noah Harari is just nailed it. Amazing yeah, how it absolutely. makes so much
0: complexity accessible. It's and he's, not hard and hard and to he's put
1: it, it down into 200, 300 pages. Hmm. That's what I don't get. It's, it's yeah. Uh, if you had one superhero, if you could choose one superhero power, what would you choose?
0: Well, I used to say, I used to say, just don't get tired. Because I, when I get tired, bad things happen. I get cranky and I get hungry and I'm short with people. So, It's a lame superpower though. So I think (laughs) it maybe ties into sort of the being able to go to the future and realize that we need to fix some stuff. If I could influence people, like at the moment I like to influence people, but it could take a lot of work. Yeah, And all superpowers can be manipulated negatively. But if I could say to someone, if I could touch them on the shoulder and go, humility yeah influence when they become humble yeah well then i know i could help people like self-control yeah that would be a great superpower to then help leaders be the people they need to be to take us where we need to go Mm. obviously i could be like generous money that's (laughs) like you know if you go to visibility you can do good things and bad yeah so i don't think it's an evil there's always a way but yeah mine would be about superpower to influence people i like
1: that Mm. i really like that i've never thought about it i've always said like the power of knowledge Right, where well, it's the – just knowing, right? So but you're able to help the people with your knowledge
0: but just being able to – Well, if you, if you had all the knowledge, you probably would be able to influence them without needing the magic ability. So, Well, yeah. Good answer. That's true.
1: <laughs> all right, I love a good shit joke. <laughs> What's your best dad joke? I know you're not a dad. I don't have, yeah. You're, you're <laughs> a father of a dog, so we could claim the dad.
0: <laughs> oh, fuck. What, yeah, what have I got? Put you on the spot. Actually, someone um, – because I have a dog. Someone told a good dog joke the other day about um, – It was you know the people around this the boyfriend of, um, this guy goes to his girlfriend's parents' house for dinner and he's sitting around the table and the dog's under there and um he's sitting there and he's what he's eating beans about Mexican food and he's oh you need to fart and he does and it goes a bit loud and then the dad's like Roger get out from under the table and he goes oh thank God I got away with that it was the dog and so the next time he's still eating oh he just does it again Roger. I told you, get out from under the table. And he's like, oh, bad luck, dog. <laughs> and the third time he does it again really loudly and then the, the dad says, uh, Roger, get out from under the table before he shits on you. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you need to beep that out, but um, that resonated no, really with me isn't. as a dog owner. Um, oh, I love it. I don't know if it's a dad joke either. No,
1: you're supposed to tell a shit joke. That's a good joke. No. <laughs> Well, done. look, thank you so much for your uh, for your time today. It's been an absolute pleasure. I think we've gone for two hours we've almost gone almost hit the two hour mark so it's been a, a marathon chat, but I think we've covered off and we did end up going down those rabbit holes like we knew we <laughs> would. apologies everyone uh, no it's it's been amazing. Look, thank you for everything that you've uh, you're doing in the world you know um you, I think what you're doing especially in the sporting arena is is really taking well, taking the sporting environment into the next level where, you know, vulnerability, leadership um, is front and centre and front of mind of, of some of these, uh, of, of some, for the athletes. So uh, I think it's been needed. We've seen some ups and downs in the past and, you know, fingers crossed that you guys do some amazing things over there at the Crows. I, I'm fingers crossed that you don't, because I'm not a cross supporter. But, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, the I, I hope I hope all the best for you and the team, and especially for the remainder of the year. If you can uh, get some wins in, uh, under under the belt, I know that'll definitely go a long way to making some of the players keep on striving forward. So, thanks for everything you're doing.
0: No, thank you for having me. I really enjoyed the chat.
1: And where can everyone get in contact with you if they want to? <laughs> guess what do they
0: say slide into my dms i'm yeah. not great at responding yeah. but uh my hashtags my um dingos for twitter and instagram and that uh at dan jackson 23 that's probably the easiest yeah because if i give emails out and i'm more than happy to talk to people yeah, I yeah often yeah. won't respond for ages whereas a click message on twitter yeah uh, or a question so or at whatever, dan jackson at dan but dan jackson
1: 23. On t- on 23 on on twitter will be the go to beautiful easy yeah. thank you very much for your time mate and Thanks, dan. we'll catch you next time guys cheers Thanks for listening to the podcast all. You can check out the show notes if there was anything of interest to you and find out more about us at synergyiq.com.au. I am going to ask though, if you did like the podcast, it would absolutely mean the world to me if you could subscribe, rate and review. And if you didn't like it, that's all right too. There's no need to do anything. Take care guys, all the best.
0: Thank you once again for joining us here at Creating
1: Synergy. It's been great spending this time with you. Please jump on to the Synergy IQ Facebook and LinkedIn page, where the discussion continues after the show. Join our mailing list so you'll know what's happening next at synergyiq.com.au. And of course, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast. And if you really enjoyed it, please share it with your friends.